show and this evening by well, evening is me and john are sat here it'll be morning listen to this if you listen to this on a monday like everybody else not really it's usually about 20 by the time i've got to work but anywho for the 20 of you who listen to this at seven o'clock on a monday morning there you go <laughs> um it's it's the treatment show with myself and my guest as slash co-host mr john dinsdale the oldest man in the world how are you sir what are you talking about, you young whippersnapper? Back in my day. I can't keep that voice. Hello. Oh. You can only do that if you smoke 20 a day since you were three. Which I haven't, to be honest. There you go. Healthy, strapping young man that you are. Next, York. <laughs> <laughs> John was 26 last week. Happy birthday, John. Thank you. It's all right. No problem. So. We thought, rather than looking at a card, we'd look at an individual. And it's a friend of the podcast in the sense of we've looked at him many times before. And this will be the third podcast uh, referring to you, one Minoru Suzuki. We did um, the story of Minoru Suzuki. I think it was myself, Alex, and uh, Chelsea uh, did the story of uh, Minoru Suzuki's early days and the Guide to Japanese Wrestling. And on the short series myself and Christy did, uh, the in the beginning series we looked at the early days and all the way through Suzuki's career. So this one's going to be another Minoru Suzuki podcast, but there's a reason why I wanted to do it. For one thing, as you may well know, a large section of the New Japan professional wrestling roster has stayed in North America for the G1 season, which seems to be a bit cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> um, or as someone put it this week. It's like they've gone out of the way to stop Westerners watching their program, um, which I have a hard time disagreeing with, considering what's been going on in their program lately. However, uh, what I wanted to do was look at Minoru Suzuki in the sense of this is his first major American tour, if not ever, but certainly in a long, long time. And his first one where he hasn't really been under the auspices of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's worked for AW and GCW. He's come across as a very different character um because he's in a different audience and it's amazing how to see how the american fans have reacted to him um and the diversity of reaction to him some of it hasn't been particularly positive either but we'll get to that in time i don't know what these people were on but there you go um so let's start at the beginning and we begin at aw all out after an absolute slobber knocker between satoshi kojima and john moxley Kose Ninare hit the arena, the whole place went quiet, then there was a big roar, and then the king of professional wrestling made his presence known for a walk down the aisle to the best intro in professional wrestling before facing down his old enemy, John Moxley. What were your thoughts about this, John? Because it was truly a surprise. We don't get them very often in wrestling anymore because things are so transparent these days. But with a live event, you can do these kind of things. And it was the first of three big surprises that night. But this genuinely felt like a major shift, a paradigm shift, if you will. Well, it was funny because people were sort of always speculating, like, oh, Suzuki's coming to the States. He's going to be in AEW. But nobody anticipated him being there instantly. And so, of course, all out hits. Moxley's just beating Kojima. He's there knack. And all of a sudden, it's just 
Oh, you thought Kojima was the final boss. Think again. And fucking Suzuki's there. And yeah, as you said, it was one of the loudest reactions of the night. People were bloody head over heels with the fact they've seen Suzuki. And yeah, you can't understate that. He is one of the most popular men in professional wrestling. Has been for decades because he can just do anything. And if he appears, it means your company is worth appearing at. Like, he is king shit, and he will become king (laughs) shit anywhere he goes. I think that's the thing, is the... um, His ability to get over with everyone and anyone in an instant is remarkable. You know, his, like... Yeah, obviously, a lot of those AEW fans grew up on New Japan Pro Wrestling and that really hot period between 2014 and 2019, of which Suzuki was a major part, even though he didn't have an IWGP championship run. He had those mega matches with Nakamura and with AJ Styles and Kenny Omega and Kada. So he's kind of the, the, the big bad in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But the thing is, he's a pure heel, absolute pure heel. And this kind of plays into the reactions he gets, especially on the GCW cards. But yeah, he comes out and he gets this massive response. And we get the repeat of the Wrestle Wrestle Kingdom 12 showdown where Suzuki came down, stamped his trousers off because he was just that angry. (laughs) (laughs) And clobbered John Moxley. But instead of, but again, well, actually, again, Suzuki... um, Sends Moxley running out the ring after a pile driver, and that sets up that sets up the match for um, Dynamite the following Wednesday. And then, it, yeah, it it was a bit of a, a cool showdown in that sense. But I don't necessarily think the match on Dynamite lived up to the hype. It's a different kind of kettle of fish doing a twenty-minute main event in New Japan compared to a seven-minute main event in AEW for TV purposes with ad breaks and stuff in between. You've got picture-in-picture and stuff, but it becomes more difficult to tell the story. I did watch the American feed of the match um, just to see what the picture-in-picture was like, to be honest with you. And it was a bit bizarre because all of a sudden I'm learning about like twin tub washing machines where you can they stack the dryer and it's washes that are that intelligent. It tells how close how dirty your clothes are but i'm trying to watch the match but the ad keeps drawing my attention away which ruined things slightly however moxley versus suzuki is always going to be special and we didn't really i don't think people realize i don't think AEW realized the impact that this match would actually have on the company in the coming weeks due to the well foul up of the introduction we'll get to that in a minute what about the match itself john yeah, it was fine. As you said, the time limit, the picture-in-picture, it all plays out a bit naff, but that's kind of one of the pitfalls of like the American wrestling system, the sort of built-for-TV like wrestling system, because most of the time New Japan is just hoping people will watch on New Japan World, they'll watch live. That's how like most international like wrestling fans come to it. I don't think anyone watches it on, is it Asahi TV? No. TV, I can't remember what. TV, Asahi. The people who keep doing DCMA requests against people for having gifts. You're not even allowed stills now. (laughs) You know what company lets you have stills? DDT. And Noah. And TJPW. In fact, they actively encourage you to use them because they want to grow their audience. 
That's just it. I've been just as a slight tangent. I've been laughing at like their response to things because obviously they're doing this big server migration, so I'm gonna have to re-sign up my Wrestle Universe account. But here they're waiving costs until like like till the end of the year, so everyone gets Wrestle Universe free, providing they can like pay for it in January. Mm. But the way they've been handling like questions and stuff, it's like they've set up an English account on Twitter that answers questions. They've got the stars sort of giving out little hints and tips. It's like, oh, yes, everyone wants, like, screenshots, GIFs, do it. And it's just like, hey, it's almost (laughs) like interacting with your audience and meeting them halfway on things, you know, makes your company more popular. Is it just me Mm. thinking this? No? No, no, I think so. And to be fair, AEW done the same thing. You know, you look at the, the classic AEW xxx is all elite that there's a reason why the person on the right hand side is by themselves so you can chop it out and stick anyone else in there you like so you, it's very like um i remember session moth martina did one when she when it first came out and in the end i guess she probably had contact from aw in the end so it worked out from her she ended up working for ring of honor instead but you know what i mean there is a certain kind of like moments that you can send viral are really important to the growth of a wrestling company these days but i don't think shitv get that because they're a traditional media company they just don't understand how virality works they just want to protect their copyrights which is understandable but that's not how wrestling works in fact that end of that suzuki moxley match or the beginning of it where they cut cozy nina ray became an entire angle based around the fact that fans were not happy they didn't get to sing along to Cozy Nina Re, either in the stadium. Sorry? The Suzuki Suzuki incident. Yeah, it was trending online. There was a massive backlash against the company. And as backlashes go, they handled it really well because then they set up a next match. But we haven't talked about this match yet. So Moxley and Suzuki is kind of like a heavy brawl really, which is kind of what you expect. What are your thoughts on the actual match content as a story? Yeah, it was, it basically played out like, I haven't forgotten what you did like, like earlier this year, so I'm going to kill you. And they basically <laughs> just kind of beat the hell out of each other for seven minutes. And um, obviously there's the botch, well, it's not even a, is it a botch, really? The when you think about who's fighting, it's just kind of like, was it a botch or did they just think, Hey, headbutt me really hard, and they're just like, okay. And so I don't think that did. Well, there was a big discussion online about this at the time. And me and David Bixenspan were talking about it, and Bix was like, "Yeah, they really faked it." And other people were like, "They really banged their heads together. It's shocking and awful. This would never happen in WWE, etc., etc., etc." Um, and as far as I can tell, I think they intentionally did it because of the way Suzuki sells. And I've watched enough matches to say to see how Suzuki sells. I don't think it was a botch. I think it was intended. I think it was probably overplayed slightly to make it look less harmful than it actually, probably make it look more harmful than it actually was. But I don't think it was a botch. I think that was an intended headbutt. I don't think people know Suzuki well enough if they think, oh, yes, his eye is bleeding. He has to stop fighting. It's like, no, not a chance. He's probably enjoying <laughs> it more now. This yeah. is the guy that smiles when someone hits him harder. Like, Suzuki and Blood are not going to stop a match. 
No, I think he was more likely. I think he probably caught friction on his head from the um, the paradigm shift DDT afterwards, and that's probably what split him open because he did seem to take a bit of a rough landing there. Um, but it didn't seem to affect him, which is it's a horrible move to take if you get it wrong because you're going to break your neck. So, you know, and of course, because Moxley does two in a row now, it's twice as dangerous. But the actual, I mean, Moxley seems at his absolute happiest when he's wrestling Minoru Suzuki. It's like he is happy as a big in shit watching him roll around with his best mate Minoru. <laughs> well, they try and murder each other, but then you see video of them backstage drinking beers together and you know that they're, they're bang on. <laughs> it's a respect thing, because like Moxley went to New Japan, managed to shrug off the shackles of the new, like the WWE style, and managed to like get into hard hitting affairs with the toughest man in bloody in the company. Like, yeah, I feel like that's one way to earn Minoru Suzuki's respect is just to hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> At least in a kayfabe sense. Well, yeah, they do genuinely seem to enjoy one another's company. And of course, it led up to the second showdown as Lance Archer dusted off his Suzuki, Suzuki Goon membership card, uh, told Jake Roberts to stay at home <laughs> and tagged up with Minoru Suzuki, say how offended and shocked he was shocked i tell you that they would disrespect the king of professional wrestling that way and cut off his music and demanded a rematch with eddie kingston and john moxley well a tag match with eddie kingston and john moxley and the following week on dynamite they had a a bit of a showdown where the king got his full due and proper as dynamite played his full cozy nino ray entrance and moxley then kingston stared him down and then Lance Archer attacked them from behind. Because they're Suzuki Gun. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> God, you could tell Lance Archer was having fun to be back with Suzuki. They are genuinely good mates. I think that's the thing. It's like, you look at Chaos and they all really get along. And you look at um, Suzuki Gun. And Suzuki Gun has a big say in who ends up in Suzuki Gun. They've got to be good. You know, they've got to be of a certain style. They have to have a certain je ne sais quoi about them to be a member of Suzuki Gun. It's not like Paul Romer in The Horseman, square peg in a round hole, is it? You know, Lance, <laughs> Lance Archer is a badass. I'm a badass. We should have him in Suzuki Gun. And they were former World IWGP World Tag Team Champions. They won the World Tag League together. You know, they know what they're doing as a tag team. So therefore, putting these two together with Kingston and Moxley, oh, it's just perfect. <laughs> I was reading people bashing Kingston on Twitter. And it's just like, how can you bash Eddie Kingston? The guy practically bleeds pro wrestling. He has gone out of his way to make it as real as real can get for like 20 years. What was the problem with, Mo- with uh, Kingston? Um, it I can't remember who like I saw it through Caden, like the gif, mm. the gif guy, and um, yeah. basically it was someone like, oh, Kingston, everything Kingston does is unbelievable. He's got no promo ability. He can't sell. His shots look shit. And it's just like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> you see, this is the thing. Is like a lot of people were saying similar things about Minoru Suzuki this week. Like, oh, um, there was the face, the AW Facebook group. My good friend at Rudo Reels, Rudo Reels, uh, <laughs> sent me some shots from the Facebook group. It was just like, 
well, he can't wrestle. It's like watching Hogan try again. And I'm hope they hope they get rid of him. And it's like, I don't understand it. I don't understand how you're a pro wrestling fan and not enjoy Minoru Suzuki. He is the best heel ever in professional wrestling in the sense of, he's not a great heel in the sense of he's far too popular in one sense. Well, that tagline, the man with the worst personality in the world, is exactly right. And that's what you expect him to be. He's not there to entertain you with a wrestling match. He's there to win. That's the point. And he will make you believe that he's there to win. And if he has to rip your arm off to win, then he will rip your arm off to win. That's the whole... Some wrestling fans have been lobotomized. Yeah, this is it. It's like... He clearly got to AEW, was requested by Tony Khan to go to AEW, or was requested by John Moxley, or possibly Eddie Kingston, or someone fairly high up in the company who has good leadership qualities within that particular locker room, and which you could say John Moxley and Eddie Kingston are two of those guys. Um, if you've seen Kingston backpage, backstage, he runs the locker room like he used to run the Shikara locker room. He's Mr. Positive Energy. He makes sure everybody's happy. You know, he goes and checks in on people. He's Harley Race, basically. <laughs> you know, how Harley used to do it back in the 70s, make sure, look after everybody, make sure everybody was all right. That's what Eddie does now. And Mox is kind of in a similar position. So they could have requested him. I'm guessing Moxley because he gets on with him, obviously, and Lance Archer would definitely be up for that. So the fact that they managed to build more than just one paid one TV match out of it and an entire series is excellent, you know, and that's, that's how TV wrestling works. So they roll into Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, I'm trying to think of the timeline. Actually, we've got the Grisham match first, haven't we? But they've lined up the match for Arthur Ashe uh, on Dynamite with Kingston and moxley getting beaten up by suzuki goon and yeah that's that was an interesting kind of way of going about it and it's good tv and it's good wrestling tv and you're using minoru suzuki to your maximum effect he's a killer he's come in to destroy moxley and his friends that's the way you go about it isn't it 100 percent. if you're gonna have suzuki you've got to let him be suzuki He's not going to stand there, cut a promo, say how happy he is to be there, and then go away. No, he's going to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> there are no frills on Minoru Suzuki. He's just a killer. Like, you've brought in a killer. Let him be a killer, or you've wasted him. Well, yeah, that's that's basically it. That's the whole nine yards right there. Minoru Suzuki, we'll call him murder dad for a reason. <laughs> you know? He is, and again, the man with the worst personality in the world. And then you get to GCW the highest, wasn't it? Which was a couple of weekends ago in this dream match with Jonathan Gresham. Now, I must admit, I did not watch the whole card. I watched a couple of things. Deppen and the Funches, that was fun. I like that. Um, But the whole card was ramping up towards this classic main event. And it's kind of the opposite of the AW approach of, Get the big match out of the way so it doesn't hang over <laughs> the whole show. It's like they started with Omega and Danielson so that to take the pressure out the rest of the show. You know, it makes it harder for everybody else in the card, but it just means that the the fans are not chanting for it all the way through the show. In this particular case, the fans were on the edge of their seat waiting for Jonathan Gresham versus Minoru Suzuki, and they were not disappointed. Um, Gresham. Obviously, as me and Marcus talked about last week, has dropped the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. But he has said in the past that he wants his legacy to be 
to popularize a style of professional wrestling, not just to be a great wrestler. He wants to be like Rey Mysterio in the sense of he wants to popularize his home style in professional wrestling generally. Like Rey took Lucha Libre and brought it to the masses. He wants to bring mat wrestling and chain wrestling to the masses as a viable, entertaining show again, um, which is a, a noble thing. And I think he's setting about his career the right way. Um, and you've got Minoru Suzuki, who really is one of the pioneers of this style in the sense of he was trained by the guys who did it first. Or well, he's trained by the guys who were trained by the guys who did it first, put it that way. You know, there is a distinct line uh, from Ernie Riley uh, of the Snake Pit, or Billy Riley and Ernie Riley of the Snake Pit, all the way to Minoru Suzuki. And you can see that Lancashire influenced him in everything he does. And then you've got the Calamari Catch King himself. There's Jonathan Gresham. You know, he's the octopus. And that was an intriguing kind of, I was really kind of looking forward to it. Um, and it's kind of like, I'm wondering, like the reactions to it from Suzuki and Gresham were different to about the match. Because Gresham offers his hand in Ring of Honor style and Suzuki refuses it. And I was thinking, what are you thinking? He's Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> He's not going to shake your hand. Um, but yeah, it was after that, it became this technical battle and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was my bag. What's your thoughts on it, John? Yeah, as I sort of said in my review when I was doing the show, I loved this. It's it's a case of the pretty much the best technical wrestler in the US against the best technical wrestler in Japan. And they did exactly that. They put on one hell of a technical match and as Suzuki sort of does his thing you see Gresham try to get more and more sort of well not experimental but varied with his style so he can take advantage of what he's got left it's it's all very well thought out it's very well paced and it's it's exactly what you'd want if you see Jonathan Gresham and Minoru Suzuki like as a marquee match this is what you'd want to see and it was really well done and it didn't drag out. It was just really, really damn good. And this is the thing is that that is the thing with the catch style. It is kind of like it's improv jazz. They wouldn't plan that. That's just, you know, the way they wrestled. That was kind of their thing. Like Gresham's gimmick is he's the grizzled veteran professional wrestler. They used to talk about the fact he'd worn his boots out. You know, as a as a matter of pride, like most wrestlers these days come out with different boots every time they change their gear. You know, but he's still an old traditionalist and uses the same pair of boots until they wear thin, and then you get another pair because he's a carpenter. You know, he's a, an artiste as opposed to other wrestlers who don't see it as a as a way of making an artistic statement. And that's fine. It's professional wrestling after all. But yeah, I mean, the, the actual match content, the story is Suzuki going after Gresham's arm. And then uh, Gresham going after Suzuki's legs, which is a good way of going about it, because then you, you the pile drivers out of the way. Uh, one of the most intriguing figure four segments I've ever seen, where Gresham went for a regular figure four, but Suzuki caught his foot, so he moved the figure four leg up, the pressing leg up, which of course isn't doesn't allow as much pressure, but meant that Suzuki could get to it, so he could stay in it longer, but it wouldn't hurt Suzuki as much. So there was a lot of psychology going into the moves that they were putting together. That was the key and interesting thing for me. It was still, you know, Suzuki at full port, full court press Suzuki. That's what you want to see. 
but Gresham had the chops to keep up with him. It was very in much a thinking man's wrestling match. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of British wrestling in the 1970s, which is what it should do. It, it was Pat Roach versus Pete Best. No, sorry, Pete Roberts. You know, it was that kind of style of match. Big heavyweights doing chain wrestling uh, in a stiff style, you know, and that's it's amazing because back in the 70s, the heavyweights weren't really the draw. It was the junior heavyweights, like the Marty Joneses, the Dynamite Kids, Davey Boy Smith, Dave Finley's. Those were the guys in the British wrestling scene. But there was an awful lot of good wrestlers who kind of fit that Suzuki style now. You know, I see a lot of Minoru Suzuki and Dynamite, in the, Dynamite no, Pete Roberts, Super Destroyer Pete Roberts, which is the best wrestling name ever, by the way. <laughs> And do you know who came up with that name? Who? Giant Baba. <laughs> <laughs> he wrestled. He wrestled for all Japan. This is the this is the best best. This is like one of the things about wrestling in the eighties. Super Destroyer Pete Roberts from Barnsley. Yeah. Um. But he was like he'd go and tour for all Japan, and he was a pretty highly regarded heavyweight for all Japan. So he'd go and wrestle at like Budokan Hall, tagging with Ted DiBiase in the tag league in front of 14,000 people. Two weeks later, he's in Croydon Town Hall. Because <laughs> that's the way it is. But yeah, if you look at Pete Roberts, there's a lot of him in Minoru Suzuki because of the style things. Wayne Bridges as well kind of reminds me of Minoru Suzuki, the way he carries himself and stuff too. So yeah, Suzuki versus Gresham was really interesting and Suzuki takes the win, uh, which is kind of what you expect from a touring person. Gresham doesn't really lose anything. He's only his second match in GCW. They're kind of like doing it for the mega draw, and you think the senior partner should probably win that. But intriguingly, Gresham goes for a handshake again, and Suzuki shakes him off and plays proper heel. Um, and, and I'm the fans wondering. I love it because it's Minari Suzuki. Yeah, and I'm A, being that against the match with Homicide, which ended in a very different manner, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> and I'm wondering if Gresham actually did upset him. <laughs> oh, they've got something else planned. I mean, well, obviously, the next thing that came out was um, Nick Gage. No, I mean, with Gresham, like, Suzuki's there for two months. There's still plenty of time for him to suddenly turn up and wreck shit in Ring of Honor. There is a possibility, though I don't think Ron and Ron are working with New Japan at the moment. Cause no, this but is if the Suzuki's bit. going rogue, then... He's not, though. He's only done New Japan-approved companies. That means like... Time Bomb is a New Japan-approved company. Which yeah. makes me the happiest I think I've been, because a Norring Deathmatch company that now does ring shows because they've got Dom Garini as a champion has been approved by <laughs> Ring of Honor. Uh, sorry, by New Japan. That's. I think that's the thing. I mean, he's like, but the, thing, the thing is, Suzuki has always had his contract more liberal than anybody else's. He gets to wrestle for who he wants to, as long as it doesn't interfere with his New Japan schedule. And they've allowed him to go because they want him to go to AEW. So there is a possibility it could just be Suzuki doing Suzuki-style things because he used to go and wrestle for um, a Ice Ribbon. <laughs> He's done it or move. Yeah, like... I, yeah. you wanted a tag partner. What do you reckon? So Arja Kong tagged up with Nora Suzuki because she needed to really murder somebody. <laughs> <laughs> like, how scary is that? Is Arja Kong comes out and then Minoru Suzuki comes out after her? 
Yeah. <laughs> if I thought that, I would just be like, do I really want to wrestle this match? This I would like to announce. I would like to announce my retirement right now. <laughs> but yeah. I just, I'm struggling to think what Gresham could have done to upset Suzuki. <laughs> I am too, but it just the thing that kind of like put me in in on this. Mm, where well, it's going to sound a bit weird investigative mind thing going out because Trish Parker, who's best known as Jordan Grace, who is of course Jonathan Gresham's uh, wife, um, did say, don't meet your heroes on Twitter the following day. And I'm wondering if there was something that went on there, because I can't think of anyone else would be a GCW show that would be a hero to them two. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating, of course. Do not take this as a story in any way, shape or form. Just talking about like New Japan stars and GCW, it's incredible what Taiji Ishimari can do when he's just allowed to be himself. Oh, yeah. Did you watch Ishimari versus Deathman? I didn't, no. I will go back and have a look at it. That match is incredible. Ishimori is like... Ishimori is the best plug-and-play wrestler I've ever seen. And what I mean by that is... If you need him in the opener, he will put together a five-minute match that will tell a story, get the other guy over and get himself over. And if you need him in the main event, he'll do a 20-minute classic at the drop of a hat. He was the only Bullet Club guy on the British tour about about three years ago when he just joined New Japan from Noah. And there was a New Japan tour of the UK, which was basically a RPW tour of the UK in bigger stadiums with New Japan guys on it. Basically, it wasn't proper New Japan, New Japan, but it was close enough. It was the closest thing we'd had. And Ishimori, and I think it was Ishimori and Yujiro were the only Bullet Club guys. So they had to essentially be the entirety of Bullet Club <laughs> for about a week. And they did every variation of match you could possibly think of. Um, and everyone was disappointed because, of course, they didn't want to send Peter, come forward her. Um, so yeah, I, he's just amazing. He's a, such a good, just all-round plug-and-play wrestler. He can do anything you want him to do. It was just nice to see him sort of let off the leash to have a singles match where he can just show off against another one of the best like guys on the US Indies. We see this is the thing. This is the bit that, again, this is the bit that worries me about the relationship between New Japan and Ring of Honor, which was so strong for so long, is that. Ring of Honor should have Depo versus Mishimori because he's a Ring of Honor guy. Do you see what I mean? It's like it's a bit weird. And it's like also Suzuki versus Gresham should be a Ring of Honor semi-main event on a pay-per-view. You know, this is a GCW pay-per-view. It would probably do maybe as many buys as a Ring of Honor pay-per-view would have done, but it, it's not. It doesn't seem feasible unless suzuki just didn't want to do ring of honor because he's done ring of honor before and he wanted to do something different which is what he seems to be suzuki's still got two more gcw appearances because he's at the aftermath in two weeks and then he's at blood spot so like new japan and gcw seem to have really hit it off and i'm really happy about that it's rocky romero essentially you know rocky's been Rocky worked for Josh Barnett uh, for Bloodsport, and I think he's probably had some input into what GCW's been doing when it comes to their younger guys, because a lot of their uh, rookies have gone over to GCW for matches. 
it's been intriguing that relationship but i think to be honest with you it sounds like as rocky has got more power in new japan pro wrestling because obviously he's booking new japan strong now mm. as well as commentating on it from what i can understand anyway um i think he's kind of like found his niche in the wrestling industry not they didn't have it before but he's kind of nurtured this relationship with aw he's nurtured this relationship with gcw I mean, the Impact relationship as well, he's kind of nurtured that too. And there's more New Japan guys in Impact than there are in... There's nearly more New Japan guys in Impact than there are in New Japan at the minute. But here we go. And apparently he talked to WWE too. Apparently he was in Triple H's office as well. <laughs> it's like... So he's been everywhere and talked to everyone. But it is just weird that you've got Ring of Honor guys wrestling New Japan guys, but not in Ring of Honor and not in New Japan. And you've got no Ring of Honor tour booked for New Japan. It's a bit strange, you know. Um, Ring of Honor is still working with new NWA, but so are AEW. This Forbidden Door thing isn't really swinging back and forth for Ring of Honor. But having said that, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because the company looks in better shape now than it has done in years. Isn't it? Maybe new Ring of Honor's just got too self-reliant. And as such, New Japan doesn't want to get involved. Well, as the point is that new um, Ring of Honor don't need to make money theoretically they need to make content because they've got hours of tv to fill you know it's um so they can kind of and they've concentrated on a core roster that's very different to anyone else's wrestling and they're trying to do their own thing which is the right way of making a living in this modern era if you think about it incredibly diverse there, no white wrestler has a championship in Ring of Honor. No white Northern Europeans at the moment. Oh, no, Josh Brooks does. Do apologize. But up until Josh Brooks winning it, all the championships were either black or Latino wrestlers. So there you go. Anywho, back to uh, Gresham versus Suzuki. And that was a classic ending, but then Nick Gage's music hit, and Nick Gage and Minoru Suzuki had a bit of a showdown and a bit of a trade off of forearms and there was the pizza cutter and there was nearly another gotch style power driver but it didn't happen um and they've got a match coming up when's that that'll be the aftermath yeah so it follows um gage versus moxley it's the day after so it could be for the gcw heavyweight championship holy shit <laughs> <laughs> just want to throw that in there for you it's like if you've got a Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it could be reverse Moxley. He could win the GCW Heavyweight Championship and just go back to Japan. <laughs> and you could have the GCW Heavyweight Championship on New Japan television. I don't know if they'd do that, though, because there's already one GCW title in Japan. Because Drew Park has got the um, ex- the ultra-violent championship. Hasn't Drew Parker retired from death matches? No, he was in one. Uh, the other. It was somebody it? else then. Somebody else then, sorry. Do you think the Ricky Shane Page? Yeah, that's it. That's who, what I was thinking. Who technically hasn't retired from death matches. Oh, he, okay then. He, did, he said he had, but he did one yesterday on H2O. Oh, and okay. he's got another one planned. So I don't know if he's, these are like his last commitments before something big happens. I don't know. I but can't like, see Ricky Shane Page being in WWE, if you ask me, but there you go. No, but he has been appearing on AEW. Oh, okay. 
Fair enough, then. I don't know. Hey. He, just, he said it after the War Games match, and it's... So... I guess we'll see. We're, we're meandering around here. But anywho, let's get back to... Um, we were kind of covered GCW, so that's Nick Gage. And then we get back to Arthrash Stadium last Wednesday in reality and last Friday on television. Um, Minoru Suzuki and uh, Lance Archer line up against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston and have what can be described as a banger. Uh, I love this. So it was know. outstanding. We had everything. AEW actually... Hired ring guys just to get beaten up by Lance Archer. That's how into this they were. <laughs> and they made it a lights out just so we could get the full-on Suzuki gun, like, plunder brawl extraordinaire. It was amazing. And, of course, like, Suzuki spent most of the match on his feet, didn't sell anything. <laughs> 20 minutes. Beat the living snot out of Eddie Kingston. I, I, if we don't get an Eddie Kingston... Minoru Suzuki singles match before the end of this tour, I'll be sorely disappointed because I think Eddie Kingston would give his first born for that match. So that would be outstanding. Uh, and then Suzuki and Archer really kind of went full ball. Suzuki Goon, Moxley and Eddie Kingston were just into it for so long and worked so hard through that match. Um, and then in the end, after a big beat down, Homicide came to a, a surprisingly large pop, <laughs> came down to save the day uh, for Moxley and Kingston uh, as the, the King of New York's came to save them from the King of Pro Wrestling. And uh, yeah, homicide in AEW in this day and age. A under contract Ring of Honor wrestler turning up in AEW. So yeah, we're, we're there again, aren't we? And inadvertently, this show set up and promoted the match of Homicide versus Minoru Suzuki that happened in GCW in Queens, New York, two days later on Friday. Funnily enough, just after, well, about the same time as they were be- beating each other up on AEW television. Bizarre. <laughs> I mean, who'd, who'd have thought? Suzuki has the powers of teleportation as well as just being an amazing pro wrestler. Yes, he as does Homicide. people up in two different places at the same time. The same guy, in fact. Um, yes, this was well. First of all, we have to think about what's going on with Ring of Honor Honor and Homicide because it's like Homicide is in Ring of Honor, however, Ring of Honor and uh, Violence Unlimited have this loose arrangement. Violence Unlimited appear in New Japan Strong and in Ring of Honor as kind of a loose faction, um, under the 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 Chris Dickinson guidance, and of course, um, I forgot his name now. Who's Brody the boss? King. Brody King. Yes, under the guidance of Brody King, who's the one Ring of Honor guy who signed to that organization. And then I'm guessing Homicide can wrestle for who he wants. And it's like, it was intriguing. The match itself was excellent. And the, the it was very 1970s kind of babyface comes to save the day kind of booking. And I like that a lot. Like a lot of AEW kind of ideas are. They're very much from the Dusty Rhodes. Um, uh florida booking kind of playbook if that makes sense um so yeah it was fun i really enjoyed it uh what did you think of the actual match john yeah genuinely was really happy that they let it play out the way it did i mean i wish they hadn't put the ad break in the fucking middle of it but yes like having a lights out tag bout between 
two men who hate each other and two people who love beating the shit out of people. It just played out perfectly. It had a very nice mix of like American and Japanese stylings because you obviously had the American plunder meets like the Japanese shit goes everywhere type of brawl. It was just <laughs> very, it was nicely organized for something that was pure chaos. And as yeah. you said, it wasn't until like the last stretch of the match where Suzuki even started to sell anything. There was just so much violence. It was brilliant. And again, yeah. it used Suzuki properly. Like AW have managed to show two out of like two out of the three sides of Minoru Suzuki. We've had like Striker Suzuki. We've had Brawler Suzuki. I'm hoping we get technical Suzuki on AEW now. Yeah, before the end of the match, before the end of this particular run. It's, yeah, it's just intriguing to see how this all works out and how this all plays out. And, of course, like we said, across the city in Queens, New York, uh, the mass match we're going to talk about was the main event of uh, GCW Gets A Lot, uh, which was Homicide, the 187. Uh, against Minoru Suzuki and it was a classy wrestling match and we've talking this before we came on air and like Homicide gets a bit of a rap because he's a brawler not a classical stylist but he is an amazing technical wrestler you know you, you weren't ring of honor world champion in the early 2000s without being an amazing technical wrestler because look at the guys who were their champions you know, like Punk and Aries and um Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness, all these technical wonders, you had to be that good. And, you know, Homicide is that good. So he goes up against Suzuki, who's a different side of the same coin. Suzuki comes from New Japan Pro Wrestling, classically trained by Carl Gotch, by uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, by Billy Robinson, the, the, the heirs apparent to the throne. But they both come from the same place in their hearts, which is that, you know, their love of professional wrestling to the core and that's what really drives both of these men forward i mean homicide's a really interesting case because obviously he's a lot older now than he was in his heyday but i don't think he ever lost a step and he stepped away from the industry in major particular major kind of runs in the industry at the right time and his body is a lot more rested than his contemporaries but whenever he has a comeback to a major company like i'm thinking about the run in Impact Wrestling um, under uh, MVP a couple of years ago, it didn't seem to really gel or work. He just kind of came across as a bit part player. And coming back under Violence Unlimited, he seems vital again. Like this run he's had since coming back to Ring of Honor and the run in GCW and this run up to the AEW run, he seems like a wrestler I want to watch again. He seems like a legend. Do you know what I mean? Whereas previously it's kind of been a watered-down version of what Homicide could be. Yeah, it was nice to see him at, like, full tilt again. And you could, again, much like um, against Moxley, you could tell just how much fun the pair were having. Like, they spent most of this match smiling as they beat the shit out of each other. (laughs) It's like Homicide couldn't be any happier and neither could Suzuki. It was just a straight-up like street fight with technical wrestling in it 
Yeah, there's also like the environment plays. They were at the Manhattan Ballroom, as in the legendary ECW venue, the Manhattan Ballroom, where ECW One Night Stand was filmed. And there's a limit to what you can do in that building because the the fans are so tightly packed up against the ring. So that means you can't do the big Suzuki gun brawls, which kept it in the ring, which I think made it a better match. There was a bit of rope work outside, but, you know, other than that, everyone's packed tight in that building and it looked incredible. Like you wanted to be there. You wanted to experience that. And Suzuki versus Homicide, it's a match I'll not not stop thinking about for some time i don't think this was just like the fox spot it was so damn good they like did, the right. battle of the fork all right sorry you, you you got that excited it broke up and i couldn't hear what you were saying they did the fork <laughs> spot like they battled over the fork like they even had that bit of homicide history in there it was brilliant Yes, uh, I, I'm wondering if Alex Watt will watch this because Alex Watt's online name is, of course, Alex Watt 187 uh, on mm. Twitter um, because, you know, he was a massive homicide mark back in the day. Um, and because he loved that early 2000s Ring of Honor, that's what got him started in professional wrestling, really. Um, so, yeah, it'd be intriguing. And that kind of brings our tour to an end. But I did want to talk about the wider implications of everybody being on tour from New Japan, because obviously I've been watching the G1 this week. But we'll finish off with Suzuki. What do you think this effect has been on him in North America? And we should just talk about the end. I'm sorry, I apologize. We'll talk about the end of that match first, because the end of this match, he did speak in English and said, thank you to New York and thank you to Homicide. Thank and you said he would be homicide. homicide. Yes. Uh, and said he would be back, which is a completely different response to that Gresham match. That's the reason why I was like, what went on? <laughs> or did someone just say, hey, we want you to be kind of this pseudo babyface because, you know, you're a GCW wrestler, really? Mm. It's a weird one. Like, nothing seemed to go wrong in the match. So No, it's Could just you- like, I'm. Yeah, just it just seemed a bit strange. Like they went with the proper hardcore heel, but then Nick Gage is coming out, so you want him to be as hardcore heel as you can manage because it's Nick Gage. He's going to be the biggest babyface in any company at the moment. You know, Nick Gage is what Tommy Rich was in Atlanta in '84, and you know Sting was in WCW. He's over, 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 over with that crowd. Um, so whatever you do, short of sawing somebody's arm off, you're going to be a you're going to be a heel aren't you so you've got to make sure you're a heel but it just just seemed a bit weird those two endings i've just thought do you know what would be the perfect gcw suzuki match what's that if he battled effie can you imagine can you imagine that clash of personalities just suzuki no selling any of effie's attempts at mind games it would like, be intriguing. I'd like that. It's like, I'd either like to see him against Effie or AJ Gray, because, like, AJ Gray would not hesitate to larry his head off. <laughs> oh, guess we'll be seeing the coming weeks of what we have lined up for them. Oh, one more thing. NewJapan1972.com interviewed him, and one of the biggest comp- one of the biggest insights into Suzuki's wrestling mind, I think, was in that uh, interview. Oh, is this uh, his idea when it comes to training? Yeah, Suzuki said some people, and he really means WWE. <laughs> That's what he's basically going at. 
was take a wrestler who's good at one thing and then teach him to be reasonably good at everything else and then wonder why he's not a star. And he said, why not just let wrestlers be good at that one thing? Zack Sabre Jr. is good at one thing. He's really good at it. He's the best he's ever been at it. So you let him do that one thing and he becomes a star. Whereas he doesn't have to be like reasonably good at the other stuff. You just let him do that one thing. And I think that was telling in the sense of, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, he has great matches with tend to be somewhat one dimensional. I guess. But I mean, you know, Ishii's one dimensional. Ishii's not one dimensional. He has many, many clubs in the bag. It's just what he decides to bring out. And he tends to bring out a driver every time. <laughs> so, you know, whereas, and Suzuki's kind of a bit like that, but that makes sense to me. That's like, you know, that's a great attitude to have for booking a wrestling company. Just get guys who are unique and girls who are unique as well. This is it. We don't want like homogenized crap. We want things that have flavor, that are different, that can do what they do better than anyone else. It's like Cosmos, the restaurant. You ever been to a Cosmos restaurant? Never even heard of them. To be right, they're, they're a chain of restaurants that do, they're a buffet-style restaurant, so you can get food from all over the world. So there's like a, a North American barbecue section, there's a Japanese food section, Chinese food section, Indian food section. Oh, you pay, sorry, you, get, you pay 20 quid a plate, and you go get what you want, and you go back as many times as you want. And it's like... It's all really good, but if you wanted a Japanese meal, you go to a Japanese restaurant. If you wanted American barbecue, you go to American barbecue restaurant, and you'd pay 30 quid, and it'd be even better. But everything's easy in Cosmos. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what WWE is it's starting to be. Is like It's not your specific favorite Chinese restaurant. It's an approximation of what a Chinese restaurant would be, plus an approximation of what Indian restaurant would be, etc. Anywho, I'm sure I've used that Cosmos analogy before, really back in the early days of WWE, of the Troopany show. Uh, anywho, so yeah, so we talked about that, we talked about Suzuki. Might as talk about the actual effect this has had on New Japan, because I've been watching the G1, I hope you've been listening to Today at the G1 with me, James Troopany. Every day there's a G1 match. <laughs> and you may have noticed my voice gets slightly weary. <laughs> As I get towards the end of the week. It, well, I mean, I watched today's card. It was, it was fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's nice that they're trying to break new people. But honest to God, Chase Owens is never going to challenge for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So why is he in the G1? <laughs> it is just like, you know, yeah, I know I can understand he might get a championship shot one day if they're really desperate. But Chase Owens and Ujiro are definitely, absolutely, positively not going to be challenging Shinko Takagi in January. I guarantee it. So why couldn't a car, Why couldn't uh, JY be there? Why couldn't Minoru Suzuki be there? Why couldn't uh, Juice be there? Why couldn't Dave Finley be there? There's four guys who should have been in that tournament and aren't. And it makes the tournament seem weak because your best players aren't in the game. Or is that me? Am I being churlish? No, I mean, half the reason I didn't even want to watch it was because Jay White wasn't in it. Jay White often has the best matches of the G1. Mm. They lost Naito to injury. They've um, they've missed out so many like big players because they're all 
busy trying to make sure they can wrestle on a daily basis in the States instead of appearing for New Japan because obviously there's still quite a lot of COVID scares over there, so it's probably better for them physically to stay in the States. It is, and I mean, it is just like, it helps build the New Japan brand, New Japan strong brand up. I'm guessing, you know, they're basically been told so if you turn up for TV tapings, you can do what you like. <laughs> and it's kind of helped impact out. I mean, they filled out the roster. Bizarrely, Jay White has a baby face and impact. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah, because everyone hated Omega that much. Yeah. It's, oh, God. Yeah, so Jay White has got Chris Bay into Bullet Club. He was tagging with Hikaleo against Spin Juice this week. So there's that. And then, you know, New Japan Strong has been kind of like growing in stature. It's become a really important pant of New Japan. They moved it off Friday nights. I wonder why. Um, Chris, Chris Dickinson versus Suzuki. Yes. And also Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer versus John Moxley and Eddie Kingston for the rematch in a um, Philadelphia brawl from the ECW arena, uh, Viking Hall. You know, so it's like they're pushing the right buttons there. That's how to get you people to watch these things. <laughs> oh, my New Japan subscription is going to find a use this month. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. You see, so they are kind of, in one sense, they're doing the right things to build the US brand again. But it's not really helping the Japanese brand because I watched that match from Otto Ward, the, the card from Ottawa Gymnasium where Okada beat Evil. And the match was probably the best match Evil's had in two years. But there's no one there to watch it. Like, it's not even, like, a half-COVID crowd. You know, it and a lot of... like they've tried to split, like, their audience into two groups. It's like, we'll keep our domestic fans happy in Japan, and we'll try and push all the international viewers towards strong. Like, that's what really what it's it? starting to feel like. Yeah, but I don't want to watch strong. I want to watch strong for specific matches. But it's like Ben Ben Spindler said when we did our like review of the year. One of the reasons why New Japan isn't hot is because you don't have Omega anymore and you don't have the guys who Bullet Club, which is fair enough. But he said, "Where's Okada? Okada's down the card, wrestling mid card matches for no apparent reason and can't win shit." <laughs> and then you know it's like, so where's Tanahashi? Where's all these main event guys gone that were what drew fans to New Japan in the first place? And I don't completely agree with him, but New Japan should feel like New Japan, this mix of Gaijin and uh, Japanese wrestlers that draw a crowd in together. It's like they're going out of their way to alienate American fans on Western fans. Western being, of course, you know, depending where you stood in the world. But yeah, European and American fan base doesn't seem to just kind of want to make things click the right way. It's, it definitely feels like they've lost something. And until they get it back, they're going to continue to struggle to keep people interested. I think they've they've done okay. But they, I just don't understand a G1 without... I know I mean, people were saying, well, they should have got some guys from DDT or from Noah or from All Japan. And that's virtually impossible now. You can't, it isn't the 90s anymore. You can't, it's not even the 2010s anymore. You can't just pull up people from nowhere and hope it works because they all work for a different company that has different TV rights. I mean, so, they could have done like BJW or Freedom. Possibly. 
By Possibly. God, Taru Sagira would have been incredible for like the G1. Just because then we can see him wrestle since he's lost his deathmatch title. Or bring in Hasafumi Nakano. Or um, Namura. Like, there are still great... In fact, there's many, many freelancers as well. In they the could have done. Scene that they could have done. Like, it's it's not impossible. It's just... They didn't seem to think of it. They were just like, oh, keep everything in-house. Yeah. Right, let's bring these guys in because they're available. Up, oh, everyone else is in America. Up. Oh. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, I mean, and to be fair to Chase Owens, as much as I dislike him, he has upped his game. He looks like a G1 main event, a G1 main event wrestler, and he will finally get a G1 main event. But it's not just doesn't feel as crisp as it should do, even more so than last year. And last year was messy, but this year seems like disastrously messy. Um, But I've loved the wrestling. It just seems to be lacking direction. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, it'll kind of gain direction as the pace picks up and they'll just blur us with a massive amount of great wrestling and everything will be okay again. So, you know, and Akada, and the thing is, they have gone back to two basic tropes. Okada looks invincible, and ZSJ looks lucky and invincible. And they're the two hot favourites for the tournament. And actually, that's something they haven't really done, is Okada versus ZSJ for two or three years. Like it was the New Japan Cup Challenge two years ago, two, three years ago in 2018. So that's something worth doing again. And New Japan, a G1 Climax final, where you're heading towards ZSJ versus Okada, I would pay to see. And in fact, I will we'll actually physically pay money to see. So yeah, that makes sense to me. So that's good. But it is just like, it's such a convoluted way to go about it. And I mean, it's opened up things at the minute Tama Tonga is saying he's the leader of Bullet Club because Jay White just isn't there. <laughs> so, you know, um, which is fair enough. There is a bit of contention. Everything is okay in Bullet Club, apparently. Oh, and uh, in other news, hilariously, do you know who the latest member of the United Empire is? Um, yeah, it was um, Ozzy Open. <laughs> no, no, no. You're behind the curve, John. You haven't picked up the news, have you? No, no. Um, the, the latest member is uh, TJP. Oh, fuck off. So you see, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Will Ospreay went and talked to every available junior heavyweight mercenary bad guy in professional wrestling. And TGP was the only person who talked to him. So uh, he got him. <laughs> <laughs> it like, is just... I, I don't hate TGP as, men, as much as many people do. Like, like, like me, for instance. Take his um, Twitter away and he'd be creepy but inoffensive. Like, just... No, uh, he's highly offensive. He's still just highly offensive. I can't well, even remember, for the most part, why people hate him. Like, there was the stupid comments, the um, fan messages, like... There was the... He's not actually done anything particularly wrong. The men's rights stuff, he would promote a load, promote a load of men's rights videos. Um because uh, obviously, you know, men being attacked by women in public is is such a common thing. 
Um, and also, uh, it was an anti-vaxxer and filmed himself on planes not wearing a mask, uh, just to wind people up. Uh, my favourite one, which is one I hadn't seen before, which aroused today, was somebody said, wrestlers, who who of the great wrestlers you faced down the years has made you reevaluate your wrestling style and really oh, lived up to it? Yes, and TJP's response was, uh, you know, made you change your game and made you raise your standards. TJP's response was, honestly, none of them. I don't think any of them are as good as I am, which is just remarkable. <laughs> um, yeah. TJP can have great matches. Like, he had a great match against Davey Richards on MLW. It's just... I I wish he, he couldn't speak or type. I, I just... I've never seen him have a great match. I've seen him have reasonably good ones, but he's not someone I'd go out of my way to see. If you took away all the politics and stuff, I've never found him anything more than reasonable. I don't he's think he's like some bolts guy. You can he's really good at keeping matches together, but again, I'm not gonna I don't feel the need to defend him because he's not worth defending. He's just good no. in certain matches. Like but of course, of course he joined the United. Why does that not surprise me? Well, I mean, this is it. I mean, it's like New Japan fans in America hated him anyway. I mean, he's like, I remember the he made his re-debut for New Japan in New York two years ago. He was up against Uemura, uh, who was still a rookie then. Uemura comes out, big pop. TJP comes out as a babyface. Everyone booed him out of the building. <laughs> so it's like, he's not even particularly popular. So he's, he's ideal for United Empire in that sense. You know, he's just a bit of a jerk. It's like the United Empire is full of people who shouldn't be there and twats. That's kind of it. Yeah, that's it, you know. It's like, Orkan could be doing better things. Aussie Open, why? Why? And then... Um... And Jeff Cobb. It's like, none of those guys need United Empire. Like, I'm happy that it's going to give Aussie Open more New Japan bookings. Like, by a mile like that that's a great thing I just oh yeah yeah that'd be great any other circumstance than joining Will Ospreay's factory of fuckwits <laughs> that's a good one I like that one my favourite was um, Billy Ocean Spray Circus of Mediocrity that was that was, um, that was one I came up with most of the wrestlers aren't mediocre like, no they're not no no. Jeff Cobb's been running to the ground because New Japan have no one else they can use. Orkan is really coming into his own. It's yeah. just Osprey. That he's like that cloud of shit that just hangs off. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ah, well, he has good matches, but he's associated with Osprey. Ah, they, just, they're good in certain signs. Associated with Osprey. You just you just reminded me of. Um... Uh, a story by Blaster Bates, who was a uh, Lancastrian um, explosives expert from the 1950s, used to do after dinner speaking. And one of his uh, one of his uh, subjects was called the cloud of shit of a Cheshire, <laughs> <laughs> which I, you should go listen to. It's on YouTube. It's really funny. He um, basically had to blow out a septic tank with dynamite. <laughs> And, and you can imagine the results. Anywho, but yes. Um, full circle. Like, yes. this US tour has just highlighted how wasted Minoru Suzuki has been at the moment. It's like the same with Taiji Shimari. It's like, 
they have traveled overseas for an audience that can express more than claps put on incredible matches and have raised their stock more in two weeks than they would have done in about six months in new japan like suzuki has once again reaffirmed that he is the rock star of the japanese wrestling world he can go anywhere in the world and people will love him yeah i think that's it i think it's the i think the whole idea was to give the guys who are currently in japan room to breathe and get over like a khan and cobb to an extent um and probably rehabilitate nato but uh, which obviously, unfortunately for him, didn't work out. Um, however, what it's really done is kind of like given everybody who's gone abroad room to breathe and expand, or in the case of Will Ospreay, become even more unlikable and less popular. Um, but, you know, it, that's going to happen. So, um, <laughs> so poor Twilly, they wrestled for a wrestle New Japan Strong tapings last night. And someone last in the crowd said, unfortunately, we lost Bray isn't wrestling, so I can't have a pee break. Oh, was that picture of a card floating around that had Will Ospreay, Matt Hardy? Oh, God, uh, yeah. Will Ospreay, Matt Hardy, um, oh, God, MJF and somebody else. Awful. Like the wrestling <laughs> card made in hell. I feel like it's a bit unfair to Matt Hardy and MJF. Sorry? I feel like it's a bit unfair to Matt Hardy and MJF. Yes. Yeah, I mean, MJF, I know a lot of people just don't like him, not because he's a heel, because he pushes buttons too far. He even told his mother to fuck off this week. So, yeah. Oh, God, and there was uh, Ricky Shane Page made a comment at his dad. It was like, um, his dad was saying something about MJF, and it's like, Ricky Shane Page was like, you could have fixed this 25 years ago, hashtag pull out. <laughs> yeah. No, MJF's mum and dad made a sign which said, we're MJF's mum and dad, and we hate him too. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, I think this is, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but interesting in the wrong places as far as New Japan are concerned. In like, my opinion, anyway. Suzuki's world tour has been more entertaining to watch than the G1. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the N1's been pretty entertaining as well. I haven't really watched any of it. The bits of highlights that I've seen, Noah seemed to be doing things right, and they seem to have harnessed all this old man energy at the, the N1. I don't think there's anyone under the age of 35, is there? <laughs> but, you know, it's... Kiyomiya, it, yeah, he's the only one. He's 24. Everyone else is like 60. So, yeah, um, it's been good, really. But it's like New Japan. G1's always going to be great. And they put good matches. And I'm glad to see. I'm really glad to see uh, Tangaloa have good singles matches and have a chance to really stretch his legs and Tamatonga reaffirm himself and things like that. But equally, was it all really necessary? The G1's always been a bit of a minefield for me. Because there's a lot of great matches in there, but sometimes you'll step on a landmine and lose your legs due to boredom. Mm, well, I mean, there's also the fact that they've had to stretch out every match that they've got, so it doesn't help. I mean, Takagi and um, Takagi and uh, Nagata, because NATO's been out, Yuji Nagata's replaced him, essentially, but he's not taking any points. So anyone who has a night off wrestles Nagata instead. Oh, that's uh, awesome. 
Yeah. Well, you and Tune go to car. He had a right banger this morning. 16 minutes. Like a proper oh. G1 style match. I'm going to go and watch that now. Oh, Maybe you I should do. I, but this is the thing. Absolute dream match. You know, Legend of New Japan versus Legend of Dragon Gate. Yeah, it was a great way to start a show. But again, it's kind of like if this was AEW, there'd be six months of preparation to be on a pay-per-view. You know, that's the kind of thing you build up to, isn't it? Whereas they're kind of just throwing these things out there because they have to, which is a bit worrying. But there we it's go. It's like this um, This morning was the big DDT show and they built a Takashita versus Chris Brooks. They're like best mates, but now they were fighting for the biggest title in DDT. It's like Chris Brooks has become the top guardian in Japan, I think. Well, easily, by default, because none of them are more there. popular than Jay White at this point. But that's because White hasn't White's in New Japan, so he hasn't been on TV for months. Yeah, I think it's also, there's also the point of DDC has come up as New Japan has dropped off. So, yeah, it's, it, it's not dropped off entirely. I think you'd, you'd still say, it, like, the if you talk to wrestling fans, but it is like no one's doing the watch-along, tweeting online stuff during the G1 as much anymore. You know, Ian Hamilton who writes for um, several people, you know, legendary British wrestling writer. We used to watch every New Japan card together and we'd talk to each other uh, on DMs all the time. And he's not watching them live all the time now because he just <laughs> he just doesn't have the time. And it's like something's got to give, I suppose, hasn't it? Really? It's like I see more from Michelle with like Basara and FMWE and things like that than I do with with the G1. Yeah. There's just no one talking about the G1. No, it's just not got the buzz it once had. The theme tune is a banger, though. I've said banger too much on this podcast. It is really good. It's called You're Max the Max. Yeah, uh, apparently. Uh, it's called Max the Max and it's completely nonsensical. Um, is like it Japan. as weird as the Wrestle Kingdom video, though? Oh, no, it's, it's on another level because that was supposed to be weird. This isn't supposed to be weird, but it's weird anyway. Christ. <laughs> you know, you maybe, I'll, maybe I'll see it today when I um, go and watch this incredible Nagata match. You should do it. It's good. Oh, God. Eddie. We've just done it again. What's up? The guy that's not in the G1 made me interested in the G1. There you go. You see, that's the thing. That's that's the whole thing there, right there. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's 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 what's really cracking on. And that's the whole issue from top to bottom. All right, then. Thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show today. We appreciate our look at Minoru Suzuki as he tours North America. I'll be back tonight with another Today at the G1, once I've watched it, which might be about 11 o'clock at night. So because I got to actually work. It was last year during the G1, we were in lockdown. So it was way easier to get everything done in a day because I finished work at three, didn't have anything else to do, watched wrestling, put a podcast. Now I have a 14-hour day on a Monday. It's not much fun. So I have to watch the wrestling on the bus on the way home uh, and then watch the rest of it as I, as I get, get to the end of the evening. So today at the G1 might be Tuesday morning at the G1 if we're not careful. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show. Take care and we'll see you soon. Oh, no, we actually do have to do the thing, don't we? Ah, John, thank you for listening to us today. This is fucking seamless. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? 
You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell that will lead you to Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine, where I have my writings, including reviews of two of the matches we talked about today, and a whole load of other stuff where you can see me rant about how shit video games are or just retweet cute animals. It's like, it's a grab bag of just nice things. <laughs> You can find me at Sherry Flenser on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook with the Troopany Show, but really, Facebook's full of AEW fans who don't like Minoru Suzuki, so why go there? And you can go to Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Like I said, I'll be back later today with G1 Climax stuff. Um, <laughs> I keep my eyes open for that one. And we'll be back next week, and we may be looking at that DDT show, because it sounds awesome. So take care. We'll see you soon. Bye.